0: to the sanctuary a safe space to speak from the heart i'm israel your host and my guest today is sharon eby the author of bigfoot beyond belief i want to get the everything right a study in cultural anthropology of what people believe about bigfoot slash sasquatch i got that right right (laughs) thanks for coming on the (laughs) show sharon
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. So,
0: how did you get into writing this super interesting book? Like, what is the story behind the book, uh, Bigfoot Beyond Belief?
1: Well, I was always interested in the topic. Even as a kid, I would read books about UFOs and Bigfoot and aliens and whatever monsters, cryptozoology. And... Um, I didn't really get into it, though. I had heard stories around, but when I was uh, camping with my family in New Mexico, um, I'm from El Paso, Texas, originally, and uh, in the desert. And um, when we were camping at night, uh, my, my son and nephew had a sighting, um, an encounter with, mm. with a creature that we couldn't figure out if it was Bigfoot or not, but after investigating it, um, and really digging in thoroughly, we figured it had to have been because there was no, uh, there was no other logical explanation for what mm. they encountered. And um, a couple of years later, um, there was another bigfoot sighting in the area in El pa- mm-hmm. east of El Paso near where I lived, and I just jumped in with both feet and became a, a, a bigfoot investigator at that point. I was a ufologist for many years before that, so
0: Okay, so uh, we'll come back to Bigfoot. Leap. Yeah, we'll come back to Bigfoot, but I'm actually fascinated about UFOs. How did you get into investigating UFO sightings?
1: Uh, I had a sighting when I was 13. And like I said, I'd been reading about these kind of topics all my life. And um, uh, when I was in my mid-20s, um, we lived in Nebraska, and I had uh, meetings that we were going to for um alleged alien abductees, and um, they were just experience or support group type meetings. And and uh, we discovered that I'd had not only had very strange experiences all my life, but that there were some oh. classic signs and symptoms that go along with that and uh, that uh, we fit the criteria in our family. My, my family um, had had a lot of experiences, and I've had, um, I believe it's four UFO sightings to date. And three of them with witnesses, so that's pretty significant. Oh, wow. Most people don't have yeah. one their whole life, so yeah. So I haven't written about it too much, a uh, little bit online, but uh, the Bigfoot I have mm. written about. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so um, why are you why why not write more on the UFO part, um, for, rather than focus on um Bigfoot.
1: I will be um, in my ne- not. as too much in my next book, but in the one after that, it's a three, three book series, and uh, I will okay. be covering UFOs in my third book and all my experiences and my families and things that have happened. Absolutely.
0: Um. Mm, mm, mm. Um. And well, let's talk about. So your son had the sighting, and then uh, you had one clo- in El Paso. You mentioned. Um And. Yes
1: my
0: how long have you been spent writing uh this book
1: i spent Bigfoot Beyond well it was about 20 yeah it, it took about 20 years of collecting information but um though it took about four years to write the book and it's a tome it's huge it's it's you know 586 pages whoa it's It's not something you sit down (laughs) in an afternoon for sure no it's it's more (laughs) like a textbook because it's an anthropological study right yeah yeah um so it covers what people believe rather than trying to prove whether bigfoot is real or not it's actually just studying what people believe about it the whole gamut right
0: yeah Uh, What are some of the beliefs you found while you were walking on your boat?
1: Wow. Well, um, there's different ways to understand reality and how people have experiences. And some of that is cultural. Um, Hmm. Sometimes it deals with people's backgrounds, um, their uh, attitudes and their belief systems, um, their uh, cosmology, how they see the world and their place in it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I did questionnaires and surveys and things like that. But I found that there's basically five types of people um, mm. that believe in Bigfoot. And uh, these I called, these are more like archetypes, but uh, in a way, but there's one there's called the true believer. And then there's the critical thinking scientist type. Um, then there's a the conspiracy theorist type. And then there's what we call a true skeptic. And then you have your average Mm. person that's kind of a mishmash of those other ones that don't fit in any particular category.
0: I see What are some identifiers of those two archetypes?
1: Well the true skeptic is um an extreme version of somebody who's just skeptical because you have the critical thinking scientists let's say and they're going to be skeptical naturally Um, but a true skeptic tends to be someone who's so such a critical thinker that they they actually can become a disbelieve what's called a disbelieving skeptic where they automatically discount and disbelieve and just say that there is no such thing as bigfoot Regardless of any type <laughs> of anecdotal or physical evidence whatsoever,
0: <laughs>
1: okay. Um, okay, you can get those kind. The cons- yep, and the conspiracy theorist, of course, is all over all over the information. They're like, oh, Bigfoot disappears, and they have special camouflage and abilities, and they're really part of the UFO. Um, they're like <laughs> related to the aliens and. And 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 no way. there are some there are some yes, there are some overlapping data that shows UFOs are in the same areas as Bigfoot sightings that, that, oh. that people have. Hmm. And some people that have been on that claim to have been on board a UFO say on a craft, they say that they have seen creatures that look like Bigfoot. They're big, hairy, you know, animal type beast people. And so, um, mm. you know, there's some, there's some theory, you know, some, some ideas, hypotheses, really, that, that maybe these are mm. one and the same. Um, some people think they're strictly animals, um, but the conspiracy theorist is going to go like, you know, it's, it's the government's fault, or they're just experiments, or they're, they're related to the UFOs and stuff like that.
0: Mm. Mm. Um, so, you know, I mean, my, ex- my. I guess, introduction to Bigfoot is really shows on the Discovery Channel, like Finding Bigfoot. I think that's one of the shows. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks so staged uh, and and things like that. (laughs) So you're like, oh man, these people are just doing this for um, entertainment value. And, but the show has been going on for years and years. I don't know how many seasons is on now, but like whatever it is they're doing the, yeah?
1: Yeah, I think it ran from around 2010 to 2017. I'm not sure if it's on reruns now or if, it's, if they've picked it back oh, up. Oh, maybe he's on
0: reruns, Ty- right?
1: I'm, I'm not sure, but Tyler Bounds was one of the people that was involved that in that, and he is one of the 23 researchers that I sent a questionnaire to of seven questions oh. and, and asked what they what they believe about Bigfoot and what their experiences are in the field and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Where does he fall stuff. into five
1: archetypes? Where does he fall? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I didn't analyze them that way.
0: Oh, um, okay, okay, okay. I,
1: I didn't analyze. No, I, I took, I took uh, very specific questions and asked um, these twenty-three researchers this, this, these seven questions, and and you know, I wanted to know about their background and. Uh, what they believe and what their experiences were and had they seen a Bigfoot and things like that. So I wasn't trying to analyze them Mm. as far as archetypes. Okay. But um, to dig a little deeper than that, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
0: But, you know, so uh, I was saying like, you know, shows like Finding Bigfoot for sure. Uh, But then as I watch, it seemed like, um I guess I went off thinking, say if Bigfoot was real, um uh would it be one Bigfoot or like you know, different big is it Bigfoot, Big Feet, <laughs> Bigfoots? Like what's the plural of a Bigfoot? <laughs> I,
1: <laughs> I covered that actually in my book, that what do people call it in the plural? And some yeah, people say yeah. Big Feet. Some people say Bigfoots um some people say squatches um they there's all these different terms and i i kind of covered that in a very small area in my book because the, that's one of the questions right that people mm-hmm, want to know mm-hmm. and uh, everybody has a different answer there's no right or wrong answer the most yeah. common one that's considered i don't know real or authentic is just to say bigfoot for plural and singular oh so, okay some people yeah. say big feet or
0: (laughs) so but like how many bigfoot would like is it just one bigfoot that doesn't age or is it like different bigfoot (laughs) all over the you know like in these places where they are sighted
1: that is a valid question because some people just don't know that they think it's one big but running around doing all these sightings, and I suppose if it was one person in a suit, that could happen. But the way these sightings occur are regional, um, and they tend to follow mountain ranges, and uh, specifically the most pop, the most populated, um, uh, the, the most I should say, the most sighted, the most sightings that occur in and around populated mm-hmm. areas. Not not so much in populated areas, but in the in the zones where the the population centers. You leave those and you start going into the wilderness and then you have dire wilderness where it's just uh, so deep in the forest almost nobody goes in there. And there's this cross zone mm-hmm. where there's hiking trails and things like that. That's the area mm. at the edges um, where those two cross. That's where you have a lot of the sightings, sometimes across roads. You'll see them run across the road or whatever. But there's these happen um, mostly in the Pacific Northwest and, and lower mainland B.C. and upper B.C., um, and mm-hmm. then they're scattered around other states like Florida, um, East Texas, Ohio, um, places like this. And, and then you you also find them all over Canada, including the Maritimes in here in Nova Scotia. What? Wait, 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 wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. wait. Hold on, Sharon. Did you say including the Maritimes?
1: Yes. Very few. <laughs> okay
0: oh very few so that that (laughs) that,
1: yes but now you can you can be really excited when you go out camping because then you'll think maybe (laughs) maybe you're being watched yeah (laughs) so but like um i guess now while
0: researching your book what what uh, like what are some of the things people believe bigfoot is like, is it a, is it like an animal or is it like a cross between is it like an evolutionary one of like we used to be that before we became human beings?
1: Yeah, lots of those different um, views about what people think they are. Um, I would say that the majority of people think they're some kind of animal or uh, some kind of a crossbreed between ape and human. Not that they can breed, but it it it, like a relict hominoid is the term that's used um, by scientists and anthropologists, um, some biologists and others um, as to what they think this is from a scientific standpoint. If this creature really is Mm -hmm. existing out there, what it would it be related to? Well, it would have it would be kind of humanish, but with more ape qualities. I mean, if you go back and look at Neanderthal, which is not anything like a Bigfoot they're actually shorter than than most humans today and they were very they were very thick-bodied and stocky and they had uh Neanderthal had a a a rib cage that was conical shaped so more like an eight rather than a human shaped rib cage which Mm. is more barrel shaped and so you have Mm. these differences in different hominids that are pre-humans the, the prehuman skeletons and fossils that we find actually are just um, a, a different combination of of traits um, and characteristics mm. as- associated with different species at different times and different layers of the earth geologically speaking so you um, mm. you find that they're different ages when you test them and and they all have some of them have more ape qualities and some of them have less and so and mm. it's, it's this the, the the Bigfoot has you know they're Tall. They're like eight feet, sometimes seven oh, or eight wow. feet, or better, uh, up to ten feet, maybe sometimes twelve. It depends. But the average, mm-hmm. you could say, of sightings of people's guesses and where they stood against a tree that they could actually go back and measure, um, mm-hmm. the seven, eight, nine, ten feet. So, um, Damn. depending on the gender too, because there's juveniles. People see see young ones occasionally, or a mother with a baby they'll see all kinds of things in the, in the forest. Yes. So it's definitely not one particular animal that they think there might be even different species. The ones in the Pacific Northwest tend to be more, um, docile, I would say. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, the ones in Florida tend to be more aggressive, the swamp ape, they call them. Um, and so there's, there's different, and then you've got the Yeti, which of course is the, uh, abominable snowman in the himalayas and they're quite mean Mm -hmm. they can be quite mean and so you have Mm -hmm. these different and there's there's sightings of these creatures slightly different in every region um, around the world on every continent and so when you start mapping that it's quite extensive and and it makes you really look at it deeper and say well is could this phenomenon be real and why don't we have like why we haven't we discovered them where are the bodies how come we haven't found any bodies or fossils or well if they're related to hominids if they really are relic hominoid then we do have fossils just not of that particular species at this time you got to remember that mm-hmm. it's really tough to get a fossil you have to have extremely rare conditions in order to fossilize bones most everything 99 percent of everything rots in the ground or or just you know the weather takes it so the elements... well i
0: do you know that so what are, would be some of the conditions that bone becomes fossil
1: uh a lot of it is anoxic so there's there's not oxygen or bugs or things like that they'll get covered over um, buried and then it just the sediment takes over and then mineralization over time occurs and so the minerals actually go mm. in and and grow and replace the original bone so that when you find it what you're finding is is a replica of what was sitting there that whatever was in that cavity before got eaten away and and uh, mm. the, the, it was replaced by by minerals and so that's why it lasts mm. because it's actually rock at that point yeah
0: Oh, uh, that's how that happens. So even if, say, you know, Bigfoot was real and he it died, its bone just became manure or something.
1: Yeah, pretty much it just rots, goes away. And if they bury their mm-hmm. dead, which is one of the things people have been looking at, is that perhaps they buried their dead. Even Neanderthal buried their dead and did rituals and had spiritual beliefs and things like that so we don't know what they have we don't know what kind of culture they might have if they exist and um you know we don't know if they exist for sure science has not said yes they do they, they just don't we just don't know for sure but if you look at the anecdotal evidence which there's a huge body of evidence it really points to that that they do but there's a lot of People that say they have unusual abilities, strange paranormal type abilities like mind speak, which is like a telepathy. They'll be like in the forest and suddenly they'll get this really bad feeling like they need to not be there. And they're actually told in their mind, leave, go. And Mm -hmm. um, there'll be like evidence, other evidence of, of Sasquatch or Bigfoot in the area where, you know, there'll be like tree knocking sounds or they'll find Bigfoot footprints you know the tracks in the ground and um things like that associated with these occurrences and so sometimes a sighting and so they 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 relate that to the bigfoot's telling them to leave right
0: yeah so, yeah interesting um stuff. is bigfoot and sasquatch the same thing or
1: yeah they're just Are different they names sasquatch actually comes yeah no it's the same thing uh, bigfoot is the common name sasquatch is a little more regional um, the native uh, tri- and tribal groups in in um, around washington state uh, uh, have different names for them from stick mm. indian to a whole bunch of things that are hard to pronounce but Saskek is the uh, one of the old names that it, sasquatch came from And uh, I I cover a lot of that in the book, too, like the whole history, the whole history of different names of Bigfoot and and the Sasquatch is just the the common one for that area. It's kind of spread Mm. around. So people still call them Sasquatch, no matter where they are. But it was specifically (laughs) for the Pacific Northwest.
0: Yeah. Um, And. Who so. Some people you know have sightings and and then the form kind of this community and go on this search trying to locate Bigfoot. What in your research for the book were some of the reasons people came up with why like there's no definitive uh, finding or location of Bigfoot.
1: Uh, well, a lot of people have mapped it. So you'll have different groups, like, uh, let's say you can go on Facebook. And one, a lot of the research I did was in Facebook groups, Bigfoot groups, specifically. Um, and there's just tons of them. And And the ones I tend tended to stay in were a thousand people or more different members, um, some of them had many thousands of members. And some of the people in there are researchers, some are just you know, just looky lose. They just go around and, and lurk. Um, sometimes they have had a sighting and they just believe in Bigfoot and so they go in these groups. They want to be heard. They want to talk about it with others. They want to say, this is what happened to me. Have you ever experienced this? And they mm. find that there's a community of people that believe like they do. And they go through this liminal experience and, and they start sharing data and information and things spread from there. And so you have a lot of the, the, the whole thing is very much a cultural phenomenon as much as it is, you know, something that happens to people outside of that. Mm. Um, they might mm. not even believe in Bigfoot when they have a sighting and then they're changed because of that experience. And so they exactly. go from, from, from unbeliever to believer And, um, and some of them, you know, just don't know what to do with that, especially if there were paranormal aspects involved, like, like mind speak, where they hear a message, or they see Bigfoot walking, and then it just literally disappears in front of their eyes and camouflages in some way. Um, They don't, we Mm. don't know, you know, some people say they've seen them walk into portals and go and so then you get the UFO connection. And so you just don't know. And Mm -hmm. there's this, this whole Whole groups of people that believe certain ways and they tend to follow each other and in down different avenues of thought. And so mm-hmm. some people think that they're an animal, but some say, no, no, they're an interdimensional being from another world. Um, so we just we don't know because science hasn't said we've got one and this yep. is what they really are because we've been able to study that. So right now we have stories, yeah. anecdotal evidence. Mm
0: hmm. And then one of the things that stood out for me while, you know, reading the uh, little synopsis of the book uh, was when people that were unbelievers would now change to believers. And did you notice a trend? Like, would would it be something they experience personally or just from anecdotes or just from being in these groups?
1: A huge range, a huge range of combination of of things. Um, I did a survey for 300 Bigfoot believers, um, and the survey only lasted two days and I, I closed it after 300 people. Um, and, uh, there were different results from that, um, including people that, that, uh, thought that they should be, that they're just animals and that, that we should kill one (laughs) to bring in a (laughs) body, Right and and then there's like but most people most people are no kill and it's just it's just some people have had experiences some have not some are just believers because their uncle who they trust had a sighting or
0: Mm. you know what i mean
1: so there's the the actual number of people who've had encounters it, it it's fairly low however they're really easy to find when you're in these bigfoot groups um, and other people oh. say, yeah, I've had lots of experiences, but then they're all paranormal experiences. And you don't know. Those are the hardest ones because you don't know how much they're experiencing for real versus experiencing yeah. in their imagination, in their head, because there's yeah. the mo- there's a huge amount of overlap. And when you de- when you bring in belief systems that that support that, it's really it makes it difficult from a scientific standpoint mm. to say yes or no yeah. this is happening um, without more mm. evidence, and so we try to try to tell people you gotta you gotta be more you know because there's this joke about blob squatches. I don't know if you've ever heard about a blob mm. squatch, but it's no, that's what's what photos. That? Well, you'll have photos. People take photos of Bigfoot, right? They, oh, I've got but a lot of them are hoaxes, and it's true and and uh, i try not to cover hoaxers in my book i don't want to give them the time of day i want actual people that have had experiences and things like that so even if they it doesn't matter what they believe as long as they believe something about bigfoot um and that they're not hoaxing or or lying but the people will be out there Mm -hmm. in the woods and they'll take a photo and they'll see something move and then they'll take another photo after and it was clearly something that moved out of the way and that was there and then wasn't there. It wasn't like oh, it was a, a shadow yeah. in the tree, in the bush. You know what I mean? It wasn't just a mm. shadow that's always there. And it was at the same time of day in mm. the same spot and everything. So, or just even a minute apart, taking a photo and it's gone. Um, so mm. you've got all these different scenarios, but um, yeah, I don't even, it, it's, it's uh it's it's difficult to um, to to divide it all. I have made these divisions in my book. I covered just mm. a whole chapter on anecdotal evidence, and and another section on on uh, physical evidence and what those are and what they look like and what people believe about them. And it was it's fascinating study. It really is. It is. Um, and my question to you is, I mean, you know, apart from your
0: passion for cryptozoology um why did you approach the book the way you decided to take it
1: you know it's interesting um i'm a cultural anthropologist so i have interest in the culture the cultural aspects behind these things um Mm -hmm. you know such as personalities and archetypes and what people believe and um you know, how much is uh, what I call the symbolic cultural projection effect, um, which is, mm. you know, symbolic culture deals with philosophical concepts and mm. united belief. So things like uh, concepts like us versus them, the rich versus the poor, um, that rich people are smarter than the poor or that good. There's mm. such a thing as good and evil currency having value. All those things are symbolic culture. Then you have a projection mm. effect which um, people project all the time. They project their own ideas onto Bigfoot or what Bigfoot Mm. is. Um, And so it's a psychological defense mechanism. So our our personal beliefs tend to get mixed up in those things. And so sometimes we can take, the symbolic cultural projection effect is is, uh, where you can take a human attribute or a concept and assign it to bigfoot in order to explain it and this could include anthropomorphization which is how we humanize bigfoot which you see in things like Mm. commercials tv commercials where there's bigfoot and he's talking on a cell phone and we're humanizing him, right? <laughs> and so yeah, <laughs> yeah. and people do this out in the woods too. They uh, they go out in the woods and they see something move and they try to take a picture and they say, Oh, it was talking to me and it was trying to give me a flower and or it was doing this or it was doing that. And they are a lot of times they're projecting their own belief systems onto the to what they think they're seeing. Whether it's really yeah. there or not, we don't know, and whether it is really doing those things or not, we don't know. But this oh. is how people explain it, and so this is the yeah. stuff that I cover in the book. Is is this is why people explain it, and this is what's behind why people do what they do and say what they say, and sometimes they don't even realize themselves that they're doing it. So I kind of cover those things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's true. It's good you mentioned that because there's a i think it's a progressive ad i think with uh with uh, bigfoot in it and bigfoot is like a person and he's like oh you know he's talking about his he one of his he's talking about his foot in the in the commercial it's actually funny i I guess i'm partial to progressive and geico commercials but um yeah so (laughs) you (laughs) so you know you spent four years working on this book uh at what point did you know okay it's done i mean at least done enough for you to send it out
1: uh yes i actually had to despite that it was so large i actually had to cut a chapter out and some other sections because it was just getting too huge it'll go into my next book um Exactly. I, you know, you know, believe it or not, COVID and the lockdown helped me a lot. I wrote the majority. I, I just I had all these notes and I had all this basic information pasted in and every time I had to do some studying and do some writing and I'd throw it in there and I'd put it. But I actually got to sit down and I was writing 10 to 12 hours a day, um, most days mm. during lockdown. And so for two months, wow. I just did almost nothing but write. So Mm. I was able to finish it to the point where I felt that it was done. And (laughs) I think, you know, COVID lockdown was bad for some people, but it was great for me.
0: (laughs) And um, what, you know, you, hmm, how was that experience for you? Just focusing on writing and finishing this book that is pretty much 20 plus years in the making.
1: It was, you know, it was kind of nice, actually, because everything comes full circle when you have to address it, when you see it mm. and have to bring it up and you have to think about it and you take for granted what you know. And so when you start writing it down and making all these categories and seeing it through other people's eyes, you, you learn not to mm. take anything for granted. So um, yeah. it was it wasn't that it was eye opening because I've seen and heard so many things I've had people tell me something, you know, I had a guy after, after my book came out, I had a guy call me and really nice guy. And we had the greatest conversation Mm -hmm. and he had to tell me his story. And uh, I'm not going to tell you the story, but it was just that he was like, I got to tell you this and I don't want you to freak out. I tell people this and they really freak out and I'm like, I doubt anything will surprise me. <laughs> I have seen it all, I have heard it all. I was a paranormal yeah. and UFO investigator forever with the alien thing. I said nothing scares me or freaks me out or surprises me. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, we we spoke coherently about what his his experiences were and and I think it surprised him a bit because um, I, I, it's really, it's really hard to surprise me anymore with anything new. And most mm-hmm. people send me these recordings and I'm just, I'm, I'm just like, yeah, I've seen it all, heard it all. I don't even, not really interested too much with the, the, the same kind of thing over and over. After a while, it gets old unless you, something yep. really piques your interest, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, um, I mean, you really feel there is nothing you would hear that would be out of the ordinary now? I mean, after all the years of working on this.
1: No one surprised me for quite a while now. <laughs> Occasionally I'll hear like a little p- a little piece of information that's like, oh, that's interesting, but not really <laughs> freaks me out, no. <laughs> <laughs> how
0: about how about um Someone calls, it's like, I read your book, and blah blah blah, and I am Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> I'd
1: say, Prove it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, oh, okay. Oh um, and uh, the blob squatch. I never explained the blob squatch to you. That reminds me because I was thinking if he had to prove it he might send me a picture of himself, right? <laughs> so the blob squatch <laughs> is a picture, a picture of Bigfoot that's just a blob. It's just like a shadow in a tree or some kind of thing. Yeah, it's and they have so to like, weird, put red circles. They have to put red circles and blow up the picture just for you to kind of see something and you can't make it out and that's not proof that's called that's called pareidolia that pareidolia is is seeing recognizable faces and things in natural you know anything in nature so like like um, when
0: when people see the face of jesus in boxes of cereal
1: and stuff like that exactly yes yes jesus on the toast is pareidolia that is exactly right (laughs) (laughs) Um, so how big is the next book going to be oh god I'm hoping it's not nearly Um, as as thick as the first one it was a tome (laughs) 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 it's a textbook seriously (laughs) it's just too much (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, and um, like uh, uh, what will be the process of working on this next book for you
1: I've started it already. I have I'm definitely have a lot of uh, work to do before I can finish it, though. It's going to be a little while. I'm not working on it right now. I'm trying to just kind of relax a little and promote this book. And then when I when this one's yeah, and then there'll be a moment where I'll be like, yeah, I need to really get into this and start writing again. And uh, and there's some Mm. research parts that I need to do and and a map that I need to make. That map that I mentioned to you that uh, has cultural, there's sightings in every culture or in every continent around the world. Um, there was mm-hmm. a map that I actually saw that in a history museum in Tacoma, Washington, when I lived up, up there. And, um, mm. and, and uh, they gave me the data set, the information to, uh, they, they destroyed the map, unfortunately, when the exhibit went down in that museum, but oh, no. um, I have the data, I have their original data that they saved, and I'm able to recreate the map. And so I've got to do oh. that. And that takes quite a bit of research because I have to double check. Yeah, wait, Is
0: it a, like before it can even since it's all the continents, it's all uh, is like the map of the world then, right?
1: Yeah, and you're just taking this is a what's called a place name map so it's not just sightings it's actually place names so you've got like um the word sasquatch which comes from seskek. and let's say you researched the word Seskek and where did that show up or sasquatch or bigfoot or uh, uh spirit uh sometimes there's different words um uh, like stick Indian and things like that—that that terms that you'll find that are regional or local for certain tribal peoples—or and then these these places get named um, f- mm. for that and and it sticks into the future, you know. So there's places that still carry those names that were based mm. on things that happened there maybe originally. <laughs> And so there's mm. these place names that deal with these creatures um, and sightings of these beings. Um, so that, those are the terms that I'm, that I'm researching to, to find out not only you know, what they mean and, and where they're from, but also to, to take the lat longs, so the latitude and longitude, so that it can be mapped on a GIS program. And, and uh, my nephew does that work, so he, he will be able to map it for me once I gather the, the information.
0: What's GIS?
1: Uh, Geographic Informational Systems, I think, is what it stands for. But it's about it's a program Uh, that helps you with cartography for map making to actually point put points on a map and make a map from scratch.
0: Oh, wow. Interesting and super fascinating. So that's going to be what? Another four years of working on the second book?
1: <laughs> I don't know how long it'll take. I'm hoping not that long this time okay. around. I've done a lot of the background research for it already, and it's it has a skeleton. so mm. so, <laughs> And some of it so, is from a, my, my original research area and mm. some of the reports that I did and investigations I did. So a lot of that's already written, but the map has mm-hmm. to be made, and there's some other things that have to be done. So it, it probably will not take four years. I hope not, (laughs) but, uh, uh, hopefully in the next couple. Yeah. I'm going to let
0: you go soon, but I'm curious though, what is your writing process? Right. You do all this research, but they're actually putting the words on paper or like, you know, like, do you, how do you do, do it?
1: I, cause I start with an idea, and um, I start fleshing that out as an outline. I want to know mm-hmm. what headers I'm going to use, what, what's the big, the big subjects first, and then what order I want to put them in. And then I start creating subheaders, and I just create mm-hmm. an outline, and sometimes that changes, moves around. It, gets, it, gets, uh, it depends on what I find, too, during my research. Sometimes I have to go in and actually research an area a little more, than i've already done and i find that maybe i need to create a new section for it or sometimes a whole new chapter um but i i Mm figure i try to fit it in and when i do the research i go and i i grab that information or i do a survey or whatever and then i throw that into the book in in where it goes and um and then i i i I flesh it out that way so through organization through my mind where how it should be organized and, uh, and then mm. I go through and I just start cleaning it up and making sure that it's all written properly. So, and then there's editing mm. and proofreading and it's just a, a huge process. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I gotta ask, you know, the the cover uh, page, you know, the <clears throat> for Bigfoot Beyond Belief, what was your, like, did you have any input in that or how... Or... How, the, did like you, how did like the photo on the page, front yeah. cover
1: yeah um the photo was of someone i knew um <laughs> and i paid we took pictures of that person and i sent it to a, and a graphic artist and yeah. paid her to change and alter that and morph it and turn it into a bigfoot type face <laughs> And so that's what I did. And I paid for that years ago, many years oh. ago. And I held on to it until it was ready to use. Yeah, Yeah.
0: well, because, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what Bigfoot would look like, but I was like, oh, that's great. And do the colors, you know, make, uh, play any role in the uh, decision of making the front cover that way?
1: No, I really left that up to her. Um, we tossed around ideas alex evans was the uh the um the graphic artist that i hired and um she's pretty well known in the bigfoot community and um uh i i had looked at different artists and i liked her work so um but i kind of gave her free reign to 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 do it how she wanted she would send me renderings and we would approve them or change them and And so it was a little bit of a process, but I I really uh, liked what she did. And it's kind of a dark image. And since a lot of sightings happen at night, I felt that that was uh, appropriate. So, Mm. um, yeah, yeah, that's how that's how that happened.
0: Mm. So um, and okay. Before I, you know, I kept saying before I let you go, because because another question comes. So let's talk about the maritime sightings. Where where have people seen them? So I kind of have an idea of where to either go to or stay away from.
1: <laughs> I used to <laughs> all over. Um, there's some around um, in in the south of the valley in Annapolis Valley um there's mm-hmm. been some on the south shore uh up in Cape Breton um oh. and New Glasgow area there's uh there's an area around there um a provincial park i believe it is um that has had a sighting in it semi recently in the last number of years and also mm. right up the street from a house that i own in uh Thorburn uh which is 10 minutes outside of New Glasgow and wow. um there is a there's an old old historical sighting that happened there and and it was talking about how this creature came and stole somebody like it abducted them and wow. and that this creature is seen every 50 years so evidently there was at the time that was written um, Uh, evidently there was already stories that this creature comes every 50 years or so well by the time I saw Mm -hmm. the this historical um, write-up there's a Maritimes group for Bigfoot uh, for Sasquatch and um, it was uh, it was just a little clip for Thorburn and and uh, it was right up the street literally on my street just right up the road from my house and I was like, "Oh, I missed the fifty-year period where it would come back." But since there's been those no storms <laughs> in the area, maybe, maybe when, when is know, the next when... even
0: happens? Yeah, that's what I was saying, But when is the next fifty-year coming? Like, when is the next fifty-year stop?
1: Oh, another forty-something years, probably. Oh it's, yeah, it's just, okay, it, it, never mind. Literally, yeah. Don't worry <laughs> about it. I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, you know.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't sweat it while you're
1: out hiking yeah <laughs> oh man sharon, you don't have to worry you... about getting abducted by a <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my god thank you so
0: much sharon um thank you for spending yeah, all this thank time you uh writing your book and uh the book is available on amazon where else can people get your book
1: Amazon and Amazon. Yes. Amazon. That's where I have it for sale. I could, they can actually get yeah. a, a signed copy from me, but, but, uh, with it's, it's quite, ex- it's often people from the States and can, if they're in Canada and if they're in the new, new, uh, new, you know, Nova Scotia, I can, I can get them one fairly cheap, but the shipping is quite expensive for such a heavy, thick book. Yeah. So a lot of people don't want to pay that, but they could get one for me. If they want a signed copy, they're just going to pay through the nose. But Amazon is the place. Absolutely. Okay.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Aaron.
1: Okay. Thank you.